calling mm-hmm. is always where your talents and your burdens collide. And so don't just focus on the talent, focus on the burden. What are the things that, that you were born into or, or the things that broke your heart? Mom of four, Cade Pierce Kennedy and Joy, national speaker, host of the Rhythms for Life podcast, best-selling author of Rhythms of Renewal, You Are Free, Free Fall to Fly. Her most recent book is Building a Resilient Life, How Adversity Awakens Strength, Hope, and Meaning. She's a retreat host, and she has been seen on Good Morning America, Fox News, Sirius XM, The Today Show, and The Hallmark Channel. We have the honor, the privilege, the joy of speaking with Rebecca Lyons today. I believe God put a specific light in your heart for a purpose, for you to shine it into this world in a way that nobody else can, a light that is unique as the print on your finger. And our job is to take that light and go love people with it in this world. Everywhere you go, you have a ministry. You don't just have to be a preacher to have a ministry. Your light is your ministry. It's how you shine it at your job, at your family, at the dinner table with your friends, at the movies, at the park, at your apartment. Everywhere you go, you are made to shine your light. Do it. Be it. Love people. Be kind. Honor them. Honor yourself. This is made to shine. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Made to Shine. As you just heard, we are in for such a treat today. We have the beautiful, amazing, wonderful Rebecca Lyons on. And you guys, I personally have been reading her books for so many years, and I just read her book, Building a Resilient Life. So I am so excited for today's conversation. In particular, Because you know, here at Made to Shine, our whole mission is reminding you that your ministry is everywhere you live your life. You don't just have to be a preacher or a pastor. It's how you go to your corporate job. It's how you show up with your friends. It's how you love and lean and listen. And and Rebecca, I feel like, does this so well. She is a speaker, a writer, but she's also a mom of four and uh, in the middle of, of college packing up processes. So just the way that she shines her light, I've seen from afar. I can't wait to hear the value she brings today. So Rebecca, thank you for being on. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be with you. Of course. And, you know, right off the bat, I think what's so interesting to me is, you know, you you wrote in one of your first books, You Are Free, that you had a panic attack on a plane in 2010, experiencing all these feelings of like terror, being trapped, feeling stuck. And now you just came out with a book building a resilient life, going through these five rules of resilience. So just to set the stage a little bit, tell us kind of maybe the stuff you can't Google, the stuff behind the story that led from that moment to this book you just came out with on resilience. Well, I realized that in 2020, my kids were home. We were all home as everyone else and felt like we were not quite ready for the shifts that were continuing to come. And partly that was due to isolation. That was due to too much time on screens. Uh, And obviously the immediate disruption of life as we knew it. 
but I don't think we really wanted to return to life the same way once things shifted back. You know, I think we learned that there was some muscles that needed developed and resilience is not something that we are born with or we're not, you know, it's not just this optional thing. It's very much on a continuum throughout our entire life. And it only grows when we have moderate, predictable, controlled stress. Um, And so what happened was COVID just felt extreme. It felt disruptive. And so that was jarring. And that's why suicidal ideation, you know, tripled for a lot of young people in that first 12 weeks, but also helped us realize, okay, if, if resilience is a muscle that needs developed, then how do we begin to do that more intentionally? And so that was really kind of the genesis of going, um, I thought I had a lot of resilience and I have in a lot of seasons of my life, but I found uh, there was more to come. And the comfort crisis that we've read about and the book is about and other things erodes resilience. And so if we want to continue to be strong, to face adversity, that will continue to come. The goal is to do it in small supported, measurable ways. And so very much the message of resilience for our kids, for myself, for every generation, for society at large is you can do hard things and you need to do them every day. Hmm. I love every day. I love that. Every day. Because so I'm curious, you said that you're before COVID, your idea, you thought you were pretty resilient. And it sounds like your definition or your experience with resilience has changed. What would have been your definition of resilience prior to 2020 and now? You know, I hadn't thought a whole lot about resilience. I think I lived it in a way as a child because I did encounter some hard things and everyone does, quite frankly. It's more about does someone swoop in and rescue us or are we having to navigate some of those things on our own? Are we having to face our fears or double down in our work ethic or push ourselves beyond our comfort zone, whether it's in athletics or music or academics, whatever it is as kids growing up, right? When we push ourselves in small, measured, predictable, supported ways, we grow in resilience. And so what neuroscience would tell us is that when you activate that stress response, that's a good thing. You know, that actually grows you, that makes you stronger. It's like going to the gym. You're, you're pushing your muscles to do something they haven't done before, but it's not because they're not capable. It's just that they haven't been trained. And so if you look at life that way, it's going, okay, it'd be like me trying to, you know, bench press 200 pounds, but I've never actually, you know, done 25 pounders with curls or over my head. So it would be silly to think that we're not going to throw our back out or have serious trauma or injury from trying to jump from zero to a hundred. And so I think the goal, you know, I think so often popular culture talks about resilience as something that you just bounce back from, but -hmm. it doesn't really fully quantify the amount of training involved to build resilience. I like that word training because coming from an athletic background myself, it's, you know, in in your book, you write about, like you said, that comfort culture. So one of you, you say at one point, we play it safe, which feels far more comfortable, but ease paves the way toward decline. Comfort does not provide the body the resistance we need to build resilience. And what I find so interesting is coming from myself, who I would definitely say my nature is to push um, sometimes not in smart, predictable ways because I just want to go, go, go. And so Mm -hmm. what would you say are kind of those trigger warnings that, you know, your 
pushing past the point of healthy, manageable stress or adversity that would provide that resilience. And you're kind of going into that zone of pushing too far, pushing too hard. Well, I would just come back to the question of what is sustainable? What amount of intensity is something that you can do for a lifetime? And most often when you're overreaching or overexerting, you're going to injure and then you're out, you're benched for a bit, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. Because we all burn out when we overwork. That's just the law of Sabbath. (laughs) God is just like, I actually made you to rest. Uh, rest is not even an optional like suggestion. It's actually a command because if the Lord rested, he certainly is far more capable than we are. So we therefore must take that seriously. And I think we just kind of got into the industrial revolution a hundred years ago in 1920s where machines and factories were always on. And the phrase always on meant it was more expensive to turn machines off overnight than to power them back up in the morning. So they were always running. And somewhere along the way, we took on this embodiment of machines as if we are supposed to be always on, but we were never intended to do that. God created a circadian rhythm of sunrise and sunset. And we, if we, again, around the same time in 1920s, it kind of ended agrarian lifestyle as we know it. But farmers or anyone working the fields or most most vocational work um, up until that point very much was governed by stopping, right? Stopping when God says it's time to stop. There's no more light. There's no more labor. There's there's pause. And we somehow have outsmarted God and found ways to keep working into the night, right? And to stay on our phones or stay on our devices. And and so truly, I believe that this resilience gift is an embodiment of getting back into the way God intended when he created mankind in the garden and uh, told us to rest, you know, Mm. to, 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 to cultivate, to work. Like he was not afraid of hard work. God was definitely not afraid of hard work, but he also very much decreed rest. And I think sometimes the overachieving usually is attached to some form of a wound that says, I'm not worthy of love unless I earn it. And Mm -hmm. so, so much of what we do attaches our worth to our work. And so there's a line in the book that says there's a fine line we cross where our work becomes our worth. And that very much is attached to just a different form of addiction, which is workaholism. And I would say that's one that I'm probably more prone to or have been in the past because somewhere I was only as good as my latest accomplishment. And again, that took a real healing and a surrender and a letting go. And I'm not there now, praise God. But I I understand that was part of my history, which is what I would have called at the time resilience. But truly, we've got to get back to the motivations. And the motivations are what really reveal whether it's actually just a work ethic or it's an unworthiness. Hmm. And I think we have to get honest with ourselves before the Lord and go, what is motivating this overwork? Is it that I'm concerned of what people think of me? Um, Maybe I'm looking for love, but I'll settle for being impressive. And it's, it goes back to God, like, who do you say that I am? And who do the people that know me best, how do they see me? And when we can make our peace with that, then all of a sudden I believe that that work ethic, it, it, it autocorrects, it settles itself out. Absolutely. And I think too, just with 
I'm thinking about the the age group that listens to this podcast, which is 18 to 30 years old. We grew up in a an environment of social media. Like our brains are just conditioned to almost always want that next post-worthy experience. And it's almost like if you didn't do something that wasn't posted or did it even happen, right? And I think we're just trained to chase that next bite. I definitely relate to the accomplishing for worth sentiment. I struggle with that a lot in my um, late teens and kind of early 20s in college as an athlete. And it's it's like you said, it's, it's retraining your brain. And I remember for me, there was a lot of shame attached to that. There was this shame of not feeling good enough, especially I was a tennis player in college. So if I didn't win the match, if I if I didn't perform the way that I wanted to, and you talked in one of your interviews around the difference between shame response and an anxiety attack. And so if you'll share a little bit about that and kind of the differentiators between that and then how to handle both of those in a practical way for when you're going through a season like that. Yeah, much of the physiological response is the same. And it really truly means that you're kind of floating, you go offline, you're, uh, you're, you're spinning a little bit in that you, you are trying to hide and you're trying to run. And so for me, panic attacks is very much, I have to escape or therefore I will die. You know, it's like I'm trapped and I have to get away. I need to run for, to find release. Whereas shame very much is also the same. Like I need to remove myself from the situation because I feel too exposed and too vulnerable right now. And so I need to retreat, whether it's in a conflict with my spouse or my kids or a diverting of the eyes down into the left or a racing heart. Um, some level of like, I am not okay with how my body is acting. And so therefore I must go live and, or go deal with this in isolation, which the problem about that with shame is the more you retreat, whether it's, uh, in conflict, you could still be standing there, but you, you literally can't look at that person anymore in the eyes. You, you look down into the left and then you, you kind of like stand back and assess and accuse, but you're no longer engaged. You're, you're just full on self-defense mode. So you can, you know, emotionally retreat and still be physically present. Or most people, if they can, they try to physically retreat by just leaving and going somewhere quiet. <laughs> and that's my that's my mode. But, you know, and then other people try to retreat just through verbal, we're not having this conversation kind of thing, right? Or silent treatment. So it, there's a lot of different ways that we confront shame. But if we are aware of our body, and I'm unfortunately very aware now of like what's happening that the problem with shame is it almost makes you feel powerless to it. And when you're in the middle of feeling small, you don't know how to climb out of that hole. And it takes a minute for you to be able to do that. And a lot of people will just kind of bury that episode instead of go back to the person that might have triggered that or the statement that might have triggered that and go, hey, I don't know if this was your intention. I'm not going to assume that it was. But when you said this, I began to feel this. And the more we can disarm and just re-explore what the trigger was, what was the setting, what was the phrase, what was the our response, belief about ourselves as a result of what we encountered, 
uh, we've got to retrain our brain. And the best way to do that is to get back in the ring quickly, even if you had to retreat for a moment, get back in the ring quickly, not to fight, but to seek to understand and ask some deeper questions. Because a lot of times we'll say, I'm sorry for my outburst, but we'll never actually explore why did we have the outburst? What was it that triggered the outburst? And where is that outburst coming from? And, and if we don't get below the hood and really try to explore not just our outbursts, but the underlining motivations and beliefs below that outburst, mm -hmm. then we're not going to be able to rewire our reaction. And so it's taken a long time for me to go, Holy Spirit, what was that about? Why do I get so uptight about this particular topic? Why do I tense up? Why do I try to control? Why do I, why does my amygdala start to go off? Why do I fear fearful or fight, flight or freeze? And then I'll just say, will you give me a memory or a phrase or a word or something that would help me understand the root of this that might be just down in my subconscious? And a lot of times therapists can walk you through this, but the Holy mm -hmm. Spirit is the great comforter and counselor. <laughs> an advocate and he's also free. Um, so yes. it's, it's good to still go back to the Holy spirit who has been gifted to us by Jesus himself saying he, he will never leave. He's your comforter and your counselor and your advocate. And so I'll just sometimes ask the Holy spirit to just give me some form of recollection. And it's usually fairly quickly. I, you know, I had like, an issue with something. And then I ask God, like, why, why does this particular topic kind of make me antsy? Mm -hmm. And immediately, and it was quiet. It was in the middle of the night. You know, it was like when I'd woken up and I was feeling like anxious about something. And he took me back to a memory from like 25 years prior in college where I was that girl that was just kind of really uh, vulnerable and, and afraid and um, feeling very alone. And I was like, Oh, I'm, I'm trying to protect her right now. And I'm not even in that position anymore, but I still feel what she felt. And because the lower brain can't tell time, it, when you feel a threat, it doesn't matter if it was a threat from 20 years ago or as a threat uh, three days ago, your brain's gonna respond the same. And so it helps me to go, okay, God, you were there then and you're here now and you took care of her then and you, you watched over her and you protected her and you helped her. And so I praise you for that. And I ask that you, that you would show me in my deepest heart of hearts, Lord, that you've never left her or forsaken mm. her or abandoned her. Um, and so it's just more our conscious ability to go there quicker um, and try to get to the roots as best we can. Um, not on our own, but with the power of the spirit, as well as those who love us well. And um, just ask God to keep peeling back those layers because he wants our healing. He doesn't want our coping. He wants our healing. Mm, I love that. He doesn't want our coping. He wants our healing. And mm -hmm. what's interesting to me is you once said it, healed bodies and souls become resilient bodies and souls. And when you think about healing, I feel like there's two camps in our world, especially with, with my age and generation. There's the people that they kind of bury all of those wounds and those scars, those things they don't want to, like the vulnerable sixth grade girl that they used to be, right? Like they, they just bury it. They don't want to look at it. They don't want to acknowledge it. And then there's the camp of people that 
they did experience that and maybe they did suffer from a very anxious season and they take that label of anxiety and it becomes their identity. I'm just an anxious person. I'm just a fearful person. And so what I heard from you is, you know, you've got to one, acknowledge it, pray about it, and then move through that. Like if there's someone who Mm -hmm. made you feel a certain way, confront them, et cetera. But I'm curious, like, what if you're in a situation where something happened years ago or there you, you don't have direct access to talk to the people or the person that directly caused that trigger in you? What would you do in that sense to practically heal from that wound and not let it become your identity? Well, I don't think most of our triggers are really necessarily about that person. It's about the vulnerability that we felt in that circumstance because mm. life will always be full of predators and victims like it, it, and they take on different faces and different forms. The enemy still will try to come, steal, kill and destroy. But God, Jesus has come that we would have life to the full and that that he would understand that he is our ever-present help in every moment of trouble. Ephesians 6 says, put on the full armor of God so that when the strategies or the schemes of the enemy comes, you'll still be standing firm. So God's never promised that there, there won't still be some predatorial trying to kind of undermine the abundant life that Jesus already has entrusted to us, that he is displayed blade and given us freely. So it's less about even you reconciling with that person. Now, the only thing that I always advise people to do in reconciliation is to always forgive, period, whether or not that person ever asks for it, whether or not they acknowledge it, Um, because that's really only going to grow in you like a root of cancer. It's going to become something that's just toxic in your body that will come out a bunch of different ways, bitterness and resentment, gives the enemy a foothold. Scripture's mm-hmm. so clear about this. So it, it doesn't mean that it doesn't mean that what that person ever did is right, um, permissive. You're not com- complicit because you forgive. Like you truly are only forgiving because you're trying to keep a clean heart and a pure heart before the Lord so that the Holy Spirit can mm-hmm. flow freely through you and bring you all the gifts that it wants to give. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, meekness, self-control. Like the Holy Spirit can only literally make that fruit evident in your life if there's a river of life flowing through you. And it, it is literally the sin in our life, the resentments, the bitterness, the unforgiveness that blocks the free flow of that river of life, that wellspring. And so it's really truly so that God can live and move and have your being that you don't want to hold on to unforgiveness because mm. it will it will actually directly impact God at work through you. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Absolutely. Um, and it's not a threat. It's it's a promise. Like God's like I I want I have immeasurably more for you. I have, but but you, but if you withhold forgiveness, um it's going to actually not give the full freedom for me to do what I've destined to do through you. Period. Mm-hmm. Um and so it's his grace and his kindness that convicts us because he he sees the call. He's given us the call on our lives. He sees the destiny that he appointed in the womb. So absolutely. Like and my circumstance of trigger a couple, you know, decades ago mm-hmm. was less about a person, but more about a position that I found myself in where I I was I I didn't have enough money to finish a semester of school. And I felt very vulnerable because there was, it wasn't like a family thing. It was like, no one had the money. And I was Mm. just feeling like, am I going to have to drop out of college or am I going to, 
you know, very much feeling kind of like orphaned in that I didn't know where the resources would come from. Mm-hmm. And again, not this is not like a family thing. It was just like the resources were gone. You know, they had dried up. And I just, I remember just standing in line going like at the financial aid office, like trying to apply for all the scholarships and all the applications and all the things. And just was really like, God, I want to stay here. I love it here. I want to, I, you know, I know that you brought me here, but I know you're going to only be the only one that can provide. But because there's a survivor in all of us that feels vulnerable at certain parts of our lives, maybe we were violated by someone. Um, maybe we would just found ourselves in the middle of hard times. Maybe it was a sickness or a diagnosis. Everyone has a different version of being vulnerable and exposed. But regardless of what that circumstance was, we find some way to protect against that in the future or defend against that, or we might have some anxiety attached to ever having to be back in that position or vulnerable like that again. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's really the bigger issue of going back to the root of the trauma, whatever it was, going, God, I'm, is there a part of me that's trying to self-preserve and protect me from ever feeling that exposed or vulnerable in a way that's kind of even shutting you out because I'm kind of, you know, miss independent or miss overworker or miss like free independent girl. And yet God's going like, how, let me be, let me be your savior, your father, your keeper, your helper. Um, just I'm just trust me in that, even though it, cause he, the truth is he provided everything in that moment. Um, he came around, he always went a step ahead of me, you know, but, yeah. um, I think sometimes we still go, I know you did. And I know you did in a way that was like, you still showed up cause here we are, but I'm just not sure I want to expose myself in that way again. So I'm going to stay far from the ledge. And mm-hmm. I think God is going like, let's just not fall into the trap of self-preservation, because quite frankly, when we're most dependent on him, when we're most uh, um, abiding in attunement with him, that's when his spirit just is so alive in us. Mm -hmm. And he surprises us and shows off in ways we just couldn't have even imagined. And so that's a good reminder, I think, for all of us, no matter what our past looks like or what our present looks like, God is going, there's always more that I have for you. The nutrients of heaven that run from the vine to the branch never run out. Man, amen. And I just, that reminds me so much and kind of rounding us out here with the idea of, in preparation for this, I asked a lot of the community, like, what are we, what are you most anxious about, right? Like, what are you, what are you going through? And there is an actual term now, I didn't know this, but purpose anxiety, where people are struggling with their purpose, why they're here. And as you were mentioning, just kind of trusting, almost giving up that identity of I need to be the worker bee, I need to be the high achiever and trusting God with that next step, with defining your purpose. Last question for you, Rebecca, is around meaning. You say in your book, creating good things is costly. It's simpler to resort to busy work, doing and consuming. And a lot of people on here, you know, they're in college or they're working a corporate job. They are doing a lot of things that give them busy work. So how would you talk to a young 20-year-old girl that's working a job, that's giving her a lot of busy work on creating and finding meaning in her life, despite the fact she's she's got all these other things people are telling her to do with her time? Yeah, I would just say meaning always is attached to the things that are lasting. 
And mm-hmm. so when you go back to what scripture says about what is lasting in 2 Corinthians 4, the last verse says, for what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And so a lot of times I'll just think, is my private life, is my abiding life, is my hidden life um, one that is maturing, that is growing in faith, that is growing in being still before the Lord, that is being present around the people that God's entrusted to me, that's serving, you know, with a whole servant's heart, right? Like Jesus was the ultimate servant. Um, He came to give his life (laughs) as a ransom for all of us. So there's, that's, that's the most meaningful life out there. And yet on, you know, public display, he's crucified on a cross. So I think sometimes it's going, God, what, what is the meaning that man, what is man's version of meaning? And what is, what is like kingdom meaning? And Jesus covers that pretty beautifully in Matthew five and six and, and the sermon on the Mount. And I think it's a, it's a good, it's a, it's a kind of a, (laughs) a tension filled appropriate way to just go before the Lord who does very much call out destiny in the womb and gives you birthright gifts in the womb and knits you in your mother's womb. So that's very intentional, but he's going to use those birthright gifts to redeem the things that break your heart. Like calling Mm. is always where your talents and your burdens collide. And so don't just focus on the talent, focus on the burden. What are the things that, that you were born into or, or the things that broke your heart? Or break your heart now. You know, what are the things that you didn't ask for, but as part of your story, God's even going to use that pain to become purpose if you let it. That, I mean, gosh, that should be knitted on a pillow. Calling is where your talent and burden collides because so many of, I feel like so much of my generation, they're only focused on the talent. What am I good at? What can I do? What can I do to make my name? But it is often the burden, as you said so beautifully, that collides with that to achieve where God wants you to serve, where he wants you to be a light. So um, going back to just a lot of people going through that purpose anxiety, what's my calling? What am I, or, and you can control that even as you go through adversity, the, the unseen things, following Jesus, looking, seek first the kingdom, right? Those are things that even in the midst of adversity, maybe that dead end job you don't think is going anywhere. God's going to use that for your greater story. Um, yeah. And when you say, uh, and here's, I just want to give it a little caveat because of the demographic and the age of everyone listening. Mm-hmm. When people say this, I know it sounds so cliche, like your ministry is hidden. It's fine. You know, and it's usually said by someone who has a public ministry. So, um, I just sure. want to, I want to start by like unpacking what I mean by saying something hidden, uh, What I mean by saying something hidden is, do you serve people in the secret place? Do you put others first before you in ways that no one will ever know or see? And if you can, it doesn't matter how many followers you have or how many public, you know, displays of content that you have. Um, I, I do have public places of content. I'm a teacher and I travel to do that and I write books, but I didn't ever see that coming. The Lord just kind of, I tripped into that late in my thirties because I had a burden, I had a huge burden of mental illness in my family and our generational line. So that was kind of the talent and the burden colliding when it hit me. But the, the bigger point is going, God also doubled down 
on the responsibility that he asked us to do as servants, right? As sons and daughters going, putting others before ourselves. And I honestly, you know, I think about the fact that we have two kids with special needs, our oldest and our youngest with Down syndrome. And um, I am so thankful that the Lord entrusted us with Kate and Joy because there is such a beautiful hidden dependence on the Lord that I'm not sure I would have had the character to pursue had God not gone, all right, here's a, here's a very specific, consistent way for you to just, um, serve period. And, um, and I'm not saying people need special needs kids. I'm saying whatever it is in your life that just forces you to lose your life so that you can find it. Like that just forces you to lay down your will or your desires or your selfish motives. Mm -hmm. And I'm not perfect. Trust me. I sometimes fight it. But the point is, is there's a, that is where the spirit is. That is where the gold is. It's like, just find the place where you can do some hidden work. And, and it just, and then Jesus is obviously talking about in giving, don't tithe, don't fast and make yourself look like you're, you know, emaciated. Don't basically stop being public about what you're doing unto me. Hmm. Um, because the intimacy that we have with the Lord that's private is what he actually really breaks and blesses and multiplies. It's the private life that he actually looks at and, um, honors and delights in, and then everything else is, is just bonus. It, I mean, it's just not even really the point. It's like, it's just the outpouring or the overflow. Mm -hmm. That's so beautiful. And that's so much of what we believe here at Made to Shine. Like your ministry is every part of your life, offline, online. It's how you, it's how you show up for your family at the family dinner table, your friends, when you go out to the movies, right? It's just, it's in every part. And so I love that you added that because especially with this generation where I think we're all just paranoid that we're being watched um, because of social media, it, that is such a great thing to call out. So um, Rebecca, thank you. Thank you so much for this conversation today, the value that you brought. You are such a light and it's such a joy watching you and your family and um, just so grateful that you made the time with us today. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. It was a blessing to be with you, Annie. Hey friend, thank you so much for taking the time to hang out with me, hang out with my guests and listen all the way through. Hey, listen, before you log off, I have an ask for you. I'm not very good at asking people for things. So really putting my foot forward here and asking that if this podcast has in any way, shape or form helped you, helped your friends, helped your family, helped your spirit, helped your soul, helped your mind, helped your body, helped your heart. Would you please, for your friend Annie, leave a review, leave a comment, put some stars out there, be honest, of course, but it would really help me out if you would like and review this podcast, especially if it's made any sort of impact in your life so that it can then go forth and help whoever else God needs to hear this message. I'm sending you love. I'm cheering for you, rooting for you. Let's go have an awesome day.